going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is another edition of the Going Deep podcast, and thank you so much for listening. If you have been listening, we've talked about Live Golf, its future as a disruptor in the golf space. Now we're talking Live Golf as a part of a merger or an acquisition. Yeah, of course, uh, the RBC Canadian Open has been co-opted by Live once again. What a difference a year makes. And there is quite a difference in the comments and the rhetoric from PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. For those who have been living under a rock, what you need to know is on the eve of the Canadian tournament this year, it was announced that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour agreed to unify with essentially Live Golf, the, the PIF, public investment fund run by Saudi Arabian government, And essentially, what has happened is Saudi Arabian government has bought the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour has bought their competitor, which I suppose is how big business is done. This was first reported by CNBC, which lets you know it's a business story as well as a sports story, but there's no leaks, no media knew, none of the players on any of the tours knew. Greg Norman, the commissioner of uh, Live, found out essentially right before it was being announced on CNBC. But I want you to hear that announcement and some of Monaghan's question and answer period defending his choice. But first I want you to hear what he said at the RBC Canadian Open almost a year to the day. June 12th, 2020, about live and its threat. Why do they need us so badly? Because those players have chosen to sign multi-year lucrative contracts to play in a series of exhibition matches against the same players over and over again. You look at that versus what we see here today, and that's why they need us so badly. You've got true, pure competition. The best players in the world here at the RBC Canadian Open with millions of fans watching. And in this game, it's true and pure competition that creates the profile and the presence of the world's greatest players. And that's why they need us. That's what we do. Uh, But we're not going to allow players to free ride off of our loyal members, the best players in the world. So that was Monaghan last year. Now this is a new Monaghan who on June 6, 2023, said this. This is a very complex, obviously it's a very, it's been a very dynamic and a complex couple of years. Um, and for players, I'm not surprised that, you know, this is an awful lot to ask them to digest. And, and this is a significant change 
for us, you know, in the direction that we were going down. But as I'm trying to explain, and I will continue to explain uh, as we go forward, this ultimately is a decision that I think is in the best interest of all of the members of the PGA Tour. Now, are you thinking that sounds hypocritical? You're right. Monaghan addressed those concerns as well. I recognize everything that, you know, that I've, that I've said in the past and in my prior positions. I recognize that people are going to call me a hypocrite. And any time I've said anything, I said it with the information I had at that moment. And I said, I said it based on someone that's trying to compete for the PGA Tour and our players. Um, and so I accept those criticisms. But circumstances do change, and I think that, you know, in looking at the big picture and looking, you know, looking at looking at it this way, that's that's what that's what got us to this point. So we've heard from him, we've heard from the players, both via their press availability at the RBC Canadian Open and via Twitter. As you can imagine, the players on the Live Tour are doing a bit of a victory walk, and the players on the PGA Tour feel blindsided and upset. But what is going to happen with both sets of players moving forward? And really, how did we get here so quickly? If you were to tell me that, you know what, the Live Tours were going to be able to keep their card or keep their ranking, I would have been like, okay, that seems like a relative concession. The history of sports we have seen uh, mergers. So if you were to tell me that, you know, Liv was going to die because their TV viewership was, you know, in the 3,000 to 4,000 range, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. The ABA died so the NBA could flourish. The, the WHA went away and the NHL was much stronger after the fact. You know, no one is out here reminiscing about AFL football. It's all about the NFL. But I never thought that an entire sport, not a league, not a team, a sport could be bought. And that's where we are. So what does this mean moving forward? How do we make sense of this? And what does this mean for the poor RBC Canadian Open? To put all this into context, we're going to catch up with John McCarthy. He's a national golf writer for the Toronto Sun. He's covering the tournament, covered the tournament a year ago when all of this you know, really start in terms of the acrimony between the two sides, and now they're business partners. So let's listen to and learn from John McCarthy about the live and PJ marriage. So, John, why can't the RBC Canadian Open have nice things? Last year, <laughs> tournament starts and live starts at the same time this year before the tournament technically even starts it's essentially co-opted and it becomes a referendum on what the pga is or isn't doing an about turn from what the pga commissioner you know monahan said a year ago at the rbc canadian open about live and now we see him on cnbc you know smiling and talking about uh, this merger. How did we get here so quickly? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, for the RBC Canadian Open, it is, uh, it's like Groundhog Day um, again and again. So a lot of the players are feeling bad for the tournament. Um, last year, they managed to still have a great event. So hopes are that 
you know, maybe this will even bring some more eyes to the week. Uh, as for how this all blockbuster merger happened so quickly, um, I mean, there was a, a number of issues that all sides involved had a, had a problem with when in, during this Gulf War. And the, it's sort of one of those, it's like a marriage from Game of Thrones, a marriage of alliance where neither side wants to do it, but in the end, they think it makes them a more powerful entity and, and stronger going forward because there was problems for all sides. I mean, so the, the, the PIF, the Public Investment Fund of, of Saudi Arabia, they, the whole the whole point is that sport washing is what we hear. They want to sort of clean up their image and, uh, and get a foothold into Western culture. Um, so they thought live golf was a great avenue to do that. The only problem was they weren't necessarily getting an investment on, on all the money they were spending because a, no one seemed to care about live golf. And, and also, I mean, events held in Tulsa and Orlando, are they really showing what a great, you know, modern place Saudi Arabia is? No, they're not. So they weren't really getting the investment on their sport washing money. And then there's the, and now they might, if they're, you know, if they're welcomed into the, the golf ecosystem, they will get that. Um, and then there's the live golf product as it was. Like I said, nobody seemed to care about it. I mean, the controversy was the story. There was, uh, if you asked avid golf fans where live golf is playing this week, they wouldn't know. So it's like, they had this product, they had great players, but no, nobody cared. So that problem gets solved. And then where it gets a bit more complicated is the PGA Tour. Um, they were telling everybody things were great, but at the same time, they were having to pump so much more money into the tour. They were having to go to their sponsors and ask for you know double the money for tournaments. Um, and at some point, there was a question, how sustainable was it to keep going back to your sponsors asking for more and more money? Um, and they were wrapped up in lawsuits because the, the Saudis were, have endless money to pay for these lawsuits and seemed intent on just lawsuit after lawsuit. So they're sort of bleeding money through lawsuits, having to go to their sponsors, ask for a, a bunch more money. So they realized they were in a bit of a jam, too. So by this deal, as sort of ugly and awkward as it seems, it kind of solves the problems for all the, the power brokers at the top of golf. Well, the funny thing is to me in terms of how quickly clearly this came together is you mentioned the live numbers the the lack of relevance could the pj tour not just wait live out and see if it died on its own well i think that might have been the maybe the original plan and then Rory McIlroy said it yesterday in his press conference that these guys weren't going away. They seemed, uh, they seemed um, ready to just continue pumping money into it. And when they, you know the, the the public investment fund has reportedly six hundred and fifty billion dollars or so. So if they are really interested in this and and uh, and want to keep it going, they could keep it going forever. And if they're doing that while bleeding the PGA Tour in, in lawyer fees. I think the tour realized that they were willing to, they were probably willing to take the Saudi money all along, but their problem is they actually got into a, a moral argument because they, they really had a, they had a difficult situation because they were in a, in a fight over cash when they had way less money. So they first, they tried to make it about history and legacy of the PGA tour. And then they tried to make it a moral argument. But at the end of the day, they realized that, all along, it's going to be about money, and they didn't have enough of it. So who, if anyone, 
won? Did both sides win? Did the players who originally left live win? Did, I'm sure Phil Mickelson today believes that he won. Well, did did someone win this yeah. transaction? Well, someone did win it. The thing is, we don't know who yet. And I mean, anybody that tells you they know who won right now, they they don't. It's it's it's, it's too early to tell. I mean, even this deal, it's been called the framework of a, of a deal. And so nobody really knows. I mean, what, what we know right now is, is Yasir Al-Ramayan is the chairman of the new board of this umbrella company. So he's the guy at the top. The PGA Tour has the majority of the voting shares. So the question is, you know, who, who runs the company, the guy with the, the, the people with the more voting shares on the board or the guy cutting the checks? Um, <laughs> probably the guy cutting the checks, but we just don't know at this point. Uh, we do know the guys who left early for Live Golf, there's got to be no question that they won, at least financially, because they're, you know, some guys are making over hundreds, of, some guys left hundreds of millions of dollars on the table and now are going to be sort of trying to make, be made whole, but how is that going to happen? So guys like Phil and Brooks and Dustin and, and Bryson, they definitely, uh, they definitely are happy today. So a lot of this is about economics, but I still think moving forward, there's an economics issue. PGA made lots of promises to their players, specifically the, the top 70. You know, now that you're bringing in the DP World Tour and potentially the top players in live, how does that shake out? There's a bunch of players who stayed, to your point, and didn't take the money, and now they've lost leverage, I suppose, and we heard Rory say, well, these guys are not just going to be able to walk back in. Are they not going to be able to? Is there going to be a tax you have to pay to, to be back in the PJ? Does it matter when they've already in the majors and have been performing quite well in them recently? How does this shake out? Because from the outside looking in, not knowing much about this framework, there is now too many players, too many tournaments, uh, and, and, and really not enough ways to cut up this pie how do you foresee everyone being made happy in this arrangement moving forward well everybody won't be made happy i mean the guys who certainly won't be made happy are like you mentioned the guys that could be losing their jobs no long you know if 30 to 40 players come back to the tour the guys at the bottom of the pga tour might not have tour cards next year or going forward so those guys won't be happy but i mean the pga tour has never necessarily cared about players 150 to 200 right they care about uh, the top 50 top 25 the guys they market all of their marketing off so those guys will be richer at the end of this um but not everybody is going to be happy and as for how the live players come back that's an interesting one because it's if they're all one company now how do you what do you you like you said how do you find them penalize them i mean there is scenarios something has to happen like it could be in this new schedule going forward but maybe the live players can't play in the pga tour elevated events for say a year two years so they they're kept out of the big money events on the pga tour side while continuing to play in the big money events on the live side assuming the live side carries on which we're not sure at this point it's going to because rory mcelroy was up here yesterday saying the only way I'll be disappointed in, in the PGA Tour is if Live continues to exist in the world of golf. So he made a big differentiation between 
a merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, which is what was reported everywhere. And he's saying that's not what this is. This is the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, which is a European tour, and the, and the PIF, the Public Investment Fund. He, he says this is not about Live Golf. So he was almost making the case that the, the PIF money is coming in and maybe we'll just roll up Live Golf and be done with it. But, you know, then we heard reports yesterday that Greg Norman held a meeting saying, no, no, this is, I, I know right from the top, Live is continuing as is for the foreseeable future. So there are massive amounts of questions still to be answered. Uh, the main one is sort of the future of Live Golf. And if it stays, how does it get worked back into the, the golf ecosystem? Because if it stays and gets worked back in, it, it's great for for them because they'll be on the major networks all of a sudden you know they're probably the pga tour well definitely the pga tour players more going over there maybe there'll be pga tour teams and and live teams competing against each other in some of these live events so it, there's so much left to figure out but first and foremost is the future of live and it does it continue to exist in its current form or does it like rory hopes get rolled up packed away and the pga tour moves on with uh, with billions and billions of extra dollars Rory can say that, and to me that seems like a distinction without a difference, and maybe you need to say that because you were the, the spokesperson. You were you know, on the front lines defending the legacy of the tour and the morality of uh, the tour, the immorality of Liv, but are there actual tangible things from Liv? Less tournaments, less rounds, team play, um, shotgun starts. Are there things that can be worked into the PJ framework? I, I look at the merger of, you know, ABA and the NBA, and you know, things like you know the All Star Game and the dunk competition, and you know later three point shots. There, there were some things that were positives. Do, do you see a similar scenario here? There is. There's certainly. I mean, the reason. Live came to be was because a lot of fans and people inside golf found the existing framework old and and uh, not progressive, not advancing, nothing new to it. So when Live came along, you know the guys are playing in shorts. There's music on. There's teams. There's you know funny team names, and there was enough that they thought was going to draw potentially a younger audience and if it's now wrapped into the PGA tour and kept separate, you know, you'd have the PGA tour side of things for the traditional golf fans, but you'd also have these events that are a lot more casual and a lot more, you know, kind of like giant parties. If you have those dropped in with the world's best players and no war going on, you know, you might have something for every kind of golf fan. You might have something for the casual younger golf fan who likes to, follow along with his favorite social media influencers on online that maybe they like that side of it the traditional side likes the pga tour and, and you have something for everyone and and the game gets bigger all under one entity which is i'm guessing what they're hoping happens um how we get there and, and there's certainly lots of uh, speed bumps along the way well that's the other question is this is awkward and uncomfortable and you know, by the time we get to the U.S. Open, maybe we'll just be talking about golf. But at the end of the day, did the golf fan win? Like, is the sport that they're going to see moving forward going to be a better product and in the game better for it? I, we heard a lot from both sides about wanting to grow the game, which you know, I, I don't 
truly believe. But could that be an unintended positive consequence coming out of this? You know, I think it could be. At the end of all of this, when the dust settles and the acrimony, if it ever ends, ends, it could, it probably will be better for the golf fan because for a golf fan wants all the best players in the world playing at the same time against each other. And, and they're, they're going to get more of that. Um, it, but the, the way that it all came about it, it leaves such a bad taste in everybody's mouth, including the players. I mean, I was on site when uh, this all happened here at Oakdale. And, and the players, it's, it's, more, it's not necessarily the deal that has them so pissed off. It's, it's the fact they were completely blindsided um, by their tour leadership. And, and Jay Monahan always says, this is your tour, this is your tour. He makes sure to put that in every comment. And the guys I talked to said, well, it's not our tour because we didn't know anything that was going on in this. And so it, it, it's, it's about this week, it's a bit about feelings. And these guys felt like they were, uh, they were sold a bag of goods by their commissioner. And then not only did he do an about face on it, he kept them out of the loop and in the dark. So the tensions are so high right now, but at the end of it all, I mean, yes, for fans, it probably will be better because having two, having two leagues and two sides of things isn't, is never good for a fan because you, you start having, uh, not arguments, but you have to pick a side and there's no longer any sides. If there's, it's, it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme where he's left pointing at himself because there's, there's no sides left to be on. So you're, if you're a golf fan, here we are. How culpable are the players? They don't have a union. Uh, certainly, if they did, all of these things would have to be collectively bargained. There's certainly such a different reality in players who are just hoping to keep a card and players who, you know, if you're Tiger and Rory, literally move audience and, and make or break events. But in any negotiation collective power is strength do the players own some of the situation that they find themselves in yeah I, I think they do and the funny thing is that was sort of considered a uh, that was a bonus for a professional golfer was the fact that they are their own they've often said we're independent contractors so they can unlike a league format they can play when they want where they want um so they're all sort of like mini CEOs of their brand at, at the top of the game. You know, we're talking the top 50, 75 players. And, and that's how golf's always been. And so they, they like that. But with that, there's inherent risks, as we're finding out. But at the, at the end of all of this, the top players in the world are going to be far richer than they were. Um, the only real, like the absolute real loser on the player side is the, is the guy, which I'm told there is a few of them, that turned down to live money on a purely moral stance. And now those guys find themselves working for the same boss without a say in it, and there's nothing they can do about it unless they want to retire. So the real only clear loser is the guy who, who said, I'm, I'm, I'm making this decision on a moral basis, and now I have to work for these guys anyways. That's, that would be the sort of saddest side of the players. For the rest of them, their feelings are hurt. They were blindsided, but they're going to be richer. And if they're at the bottom of the game anyways um, – Sadly, that's the way sports works. You know, you have to. <laughs> the beauty of sports is you have to play and win to to stay relevant and to keep making money and stay on tour. So, 
Um, as sad as it is, the guys at the bottom of the tour, they, like Rory said in the meeting to Grayson Murray, as even though it wasn't taken very well, they have to play better. The moral part of this that has me really uncomfortable is the 9-11 families who essentially were used as PR shields and you know now i suppose are feeling once again betrayed and having this trauma to come back up has monahan been pushed as to what he if anything owes them and and how they became collateral damage in this whole thing yeah, I mean, that is the grossest part of this was the biggest misstep that Monaghan made was was taking on, uh, making this a moral, uh, a moral fight. Because, he, like I said, he first tried to do it on, on legacy. He first tried to say the PJ Tour is this great historic place and this is where the best players play. And if you want to be anything in this sport, you have to play here. Well, he realized that as much as that's the romantic vision of golf, if you're 20 years old, bursting out on tour you're likely not thinking about uh, putting your name in the history books unless you're like one of five players otherwise you're looking to make a career and make money so that that went out the shoot so then he since they don't have the money to get into an arms race with cash with the saudis he decided to make it a, a moral fight and the, the funny thing not funny the the problem is all the major, like not all, a lot of the major sponsors the big global companies that the pga tour does business with they also of course are intertwined with Saudi money and Chinese money and all this, the global economy, if you're in the billion dollar business, it's all intertwined. So I'm assuming some of his, some of the big sponsors on tour probably weren't thrilled that Jay Monahan was making this a moral argument that these guys are bad and we're good because a lot of these big companies are thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't be saying that because if they look too deeply into our books, they're going to see that we're also intertwined in all this. So in some way, as ugly as it is, by the hypocrisy of Jay Monahan steamrolling the moral stance that he just took, it kind of might clear the way for some of these big global sponsors to see, like, oh, phew, now we don't have this massive uh, problem of our the company we're in business with saying that these guys are evil when we actually do business with them. So it, it's an ugly game, and it's, it's global economy, and, and big. You know, it's, that's what happens when when games and sports and children's games turn into million dollar businesses, turn into billion dollar businesses. And all of a sudden this is where we're at, where uh, we're playing by the same rules as, as the, as the rest of the world, which, which is maybe the saddest part, but that's, that's the sports world now that it's one of the, you know, it's big business. And and lastly, I want to, before I let you go, talk about the actual golf and the tournament that's going on because uh, you know when Rory won it seemed like oh my goodness a win for the good guys and uh, you know it seemed somewhat poetic and and he almost celebrated as if he won another major now we're in a much different place both this weekend and next weekend with the US Open and I'm praying for a final pairing of Rory and Phil um, that, that would be amazing. But both this weekend and next weekend, what are you looking for in terms of, uh, you know, the golfers that are trending in a nice direction and it could show well? Yeah, well, first of all, the two events, the Canadian Open and the U.S. Open, they're, they're, they are the romantic version of golf. That, they're open championships with open qualifying. Like if you have a handicap, 
you know, under two, you can go to Canadian Open qualifying and you can try your luck to get in this field, which is something that you obviously can't do on live tour. You can't do on these designated events. It's, it's the, the purity that if you make it into this tournament on Thursday morning, everybody's equal. So we're going to get back to that for two weeks here at Canadian Open next week at the U.S. Open. It's, it's golf at its purest in the format that's being played. So I do think um, fans of the game will, will see that and, and feel good about that. Um, as far as interesting things to watch is how this all affects it is. I mean, these guys are professionals, but inside the rope, you don't expect anything to change, but come next week when all the live players that are in the U S open show up and it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether it's a, uh, a welcoming back of sorts between most of them. Like, Oh, can you believe this happened? Now we're one big happy family again, or, or is it going to be sort of more acrimony? And it's the story again, as these two warring sides are, are, are at the, at each other's throats at the U S open. I think this probably lifts a little uh, more of the tension because for the most part, these guys have never had problems with the players on the other side. If you take away a few, a few little rivalries. So I do think this takes, uh, this takes away some of the, uh, some of the tenseness that we'll have next week, but it's certainly interesting. And I do hope for the Canadian open. I mean, last year it pulled it off and Rory said yesterday that last year's win was one of the greatest wins of his career. That feeling on 18, when it was almost bedlam at St. George's, so we don't know what's going to happen this week. Of course, there's a few dream scenarios with a Canadian winning or Rory winning. Um, but I think what, what we do have, regardless, is we do have the purity of the sport and that we have open championships with open qualifying. And once they're inside the ropes, maybe we'll feel a bit of that. And it's sort of the sanctuary for these players. They'll feel some solace in there and they'll feel back to what they're supposed to be doing. And as long as fans can see some of that too, it'll be good for the game. And as for the rest of it, man, it's going to take, more than weeks, months, years to sort out. Well, hopefully not years, but it's going to be a long, bumpy road. And uh, it, we're all interested to see how this thing shapes up. As am I. One of my hopes is that we have another strong tournament because one of my fears is as this partnership, this merger, if you will, unfolds, and you start to add potential tournaments, I'm assuming that, you know, a tournament or tournaments will be added in Saudi Arabia. You know, there's a couple live tournaments at Trump golf courses. I'm sure he'll try to have some influence in this. My, my fear is that the Canadian Open, which is in a really special place in the golf calendar, has created a real nice, you know, mystique and niche. Uh, I hope that doesn't get lost. And tournaments like it uh, around North America don't go by the wayside. Um, either way, uh, you will be around covering it, giving us great perspective on it like you did for us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was fun. Thanks so much to John McCarthy, again, national golf writer for the Toronto Sun. You can find him on Twitter at John McCarthy Sun. John, J-O-N, McCarthy Sun. So, uh, show, I'm actually writing about this as we speak, literally, uh, for sportsnet.ca. Once uh, that's out, we'll put the article in the show notes for this. And the, the, the genesis of what I'm writing about show is, like, this is a heel turn that the NWO members, Hulk Hogan would never dream of this, the the people in the writer's room of succession would be like, oh, there's no way. Like, that's a little too much. Like, even Kendall, Shiv, and Roman 
wouldn't use 9-11 families as a shield. Like, I mean, Kendall did kill somebody, so, I mean, maybe they would. The, the point is that, like, this was dirty. I get business is business. I get many of the sponsors for the PJ Tour have business in, in Saudi Arabia. Many of our companies, the United States had politicians in Saudi Arabia the same day this was announced. However... This, to me, seemed so brazen that it felt different. But also, it seemed to me to be a cautionary tale because set aside what happens with golf and Jay Monahan, who I think is somewhat disposable, what is stopping a golf regime from buying tennis? The, the, the French Open's happening right now. What is stopping them from saying, hey, we saw what WWE and UFC went for? Like, that's lightweight for us. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just buy both of them. Uh, I, the NBA has made changes in their governance where uh, wealth funds can invest and have uh, stake in teams. What's stopping a hostile takeover of your favorite, you know, team sport uh, franchise. I, I, I'm afraid of where this might be going because this happened so quick. What's what's your read? I definitely viewed it as definitely. Like you can't you can't view it as anything other than a win if you're if you're for the Saudis. Definitely, mainly because I, I don't really ever thought it. I don't really think it was necessarily about like oh we love golf so whoa, much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't think they wanted to grow the game? Show. <laughs> so, how cynical of you! I, I know how how could I how could I ever come to that that conclusion? It, 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 which is why when you say could we could we see it expand into other sports like that, like it's crazy to think that, but it it kind of feels like that's where it's going. I mean, look at look at all the various ownership groups of Premier League clubs, for yeah. example. That's it's it basically already has happened. Newcastle, yeah, <laughs> they went from average to bad to great overnight. I don't know if any Newcastle supporters are that upset about the change of ownership because yeah, yeah. they like the change of where they are on the table. And then you look at all the, the price tags, like for the, the Phoenix Suns recently sold, and you look at the price tag for the Washington Commanders, and I think people like to think that the NFL Board of Governors would prevent such a thing. But if the NFL Board of Governors were faced with someone coming to them and saying, hey, look, you know what? The Buffalo Bills are being sold, uh, and they're going to be sold for $15 billion. And you know what? They they don't care. They're not going to care. And all the other owners are just going to say, yeah, that's great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make our investments more valuable as well. Uh, it, it's a, it, absolutely super cynical to say that, but... It's kind of unfortunate because it does feel like it's going to start on the, I don't want to call them like periphery sports, but at least in North America, when you look outside of baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, and you look at golf, tennis, and other sports like it, you know, that's probably where it starts. But I, I have a, in, in our lifetimes, we will probably see it continue to expand into your quote unquote favorite team sports like the NBA and, and the NFL and so on. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, how it came, but I think the other, I suppose, troubling trend is all of those players who spoke out on the moral aspect of it. Well, now those are their bosses. Yeah, who I am going to assume won't take too kindly and being publicly criticized. 
that was a big part of our conversation you know during the world cup and now essentially you know, we've talked about sports washing a great deal on this show but i want you're buying silence yeah like there will not be another nba player or executive who criticizes what's going on with the uyghurs in china or the protests in hong kong that's not going to happen and because uh you know the the almighty chinese dollar said do you want us to impact your basketball related income and which impacts your salary cap which impacts your salary which in caps uh, which impacts your market share and your franchise evaluation and so like i don't know what daryl morey has tweeted since but it wasn't about geopolitical issues and i think in the very same way all of those players who you know took a hard stance unless they're going to retire tomorrow they're not going to be talking about the rights of women in the golf and so uh, in a way there's a sports washing ass Back of it, there's going to be a tournament there, and we see these beautiful drone shots of these wonderful courses and hotels, and people like slowly are like, "Oh, maybe I want a vacation there. Maybe our next business conference should be there." Like, yeah, that's real. But also, I think what's real is that there's going to be a lot of heinous issues that people who have influence in the sports world are now not going to be able to touch. Well, did you? I don't know if you saw this. It was kind of like tangentially related, but. Kathy Engelbert, who is the commissioner of the WNBA, said that they are open, that the league is open, in her perspective, to hosting a WNBA game in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And, I, and I saw that and I thought, like, for not, not only is that tone deaf just in a general sense based on the conversation going around, live in the PGA and so on, but just like as it pertains to the membership specifically of the WNBA that, that have a lot of... LGBTQ people who are not going to be welcome in places like Saudi Arabia. Like I just, those conversations, I only bring it up because those conversations are now starting to be had at least more openly. They're probably already being had behind closed doors, but they're now being had to the media essentially where people can all uh, everywhere can see, Oh wow. They're actually considering having this right. You brought up the world cup talked about how, you know, all the, all the various sports watching aspects of Qatar and how, uh, the uh, the FIFA president himself had already mentioned that they, they haven't closed the door and having it in a place like Saudi Arabia or like North Korea or something like that. So I don't know these these conversations, Donovan. I think are unfortunately be kind of going to becoming more more and more prevalent. I think in the not too distant future. Well, as they are, uh, we will continue to cover them and discuss them. Hope this was informational for you, uh, and hope that at the end of the day you're able to enjoy the golf and compartmentalize as best as possible the real issues that are happening around the business of the sport but the reason that we all fell in love with the sport and that's because uh, of its beauty thanks for listening